0: A reading from Peter's first letter to the early church, chapter one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls.
1: It's been just about a decade since the pressure really started on them. It hadn't been that way when they first began to follow Jesus, but now the culture has really turned against them in major ways, and the pressure is super high. But it's the first day of the week, and Everybody's been talking about it all week long, so they're arriving. Earlier than normal, they're coming, which is really unusual. It's way before the start time of the meeting time, and everybody is in the house, and it's almost full. Everybody's looking around at each other, and they're greeting each other, but the real thing they're wondering is, what's in the letter? (laughs) What's going to be said? That's what caused this excitement that's been buzzing through them for the last several days, there's a letter from Rome to them. In my imagination, that's the way these early churches would have gotten it. It's the way it, it had to feel to them. Slowly throughout the week, as the followers of Jesus would make their way about their daily stuff and they'd interact with each other, word would begin to pass from one to another. Hey, at the next gathering, there's a new letter. There's a letter coming from Rome. Somebody's going to have something new to say. So on Sunday, when they get off work, which is hard for us to remember because our whole life, most of us remember when nobody worked much on Sunday. But in their day, Sunday was always a work day. It's the first day of the week. It's when you get up and you get started on your week. And so everybody goes to work. And then Sunday evening, the followers of Jesus do what they do. They come together. They gather at the house. They come together to meet. And I bet they all found their place in the house because they all had their place, just like all of you have your place every week. I bet they got to their familiar places and they looked around and they all showed up early. The climate in Rome had slowly been changing, but in the last decade the heat had really gone up and everything for these followers of Jesus had changed. And the thoughts that they have to be having at this point in time is... How are we going to make it another year? I mean, how does a marriage survive in this climate under this empire with the pressure they put on us to, when we don't do what they do? How do you raise kids to honor Jesus when little boys and girls are little more than sexual objects in the Roman Empire, and success means you get power over everybody in your world and you push them down at every point? And for a follower of jesus every bit of their culture it violates everything that the master told them to do but peter's written a letter and it's going to be read in just a few minutes now if there's anybody in their day they wanted to hear news from it's peter i mean the great apostle paul that they had all shared those letters for ever and ever and passed back and forth among the little group of churches. Well, he was among the first to be killed by the empire, and he's been dead for many years now, and there, there's no new news. But Peter, Peter's the leader. He's the leader of the, of the 12. He He's the one with walk with, with Jesus, and I mean like walked with Jesus on water. He walked with Jesus, and Peter's going to, he's written us a letter, and not just from anywhere. Peter's In the city of Nero, in the city of Rome, Peter is doing church in the city where the empire rules. And we want to hear what Peter has to say because Peter knew what it was like to have to give up everything you thought you counted on. Peter knew what it was like. I mean, the great apostle Paul, his letters were good, but frankly, they're really hard to understand. And Peter, he's just a dude. I mean, Peter's just a fisherman. Peter writes in a way that everybody can understand, and he knew better than anybody else what it's like to walk away from your family and to walk away from your family business and to leave mom and dad and everybody else behind because you thought Jesus is right about everything. He knew what it was like to find hope in Jesus. And now, during this time, he's right in the same city with their main opposition, Nero. Nero, who you didn't want to get on the wrong side of, you didn't want to laugh at his violin playing because he might just dip you in wax and make you the candle for his party, which he did to many other followers of Jesus. Here they are. They've been told Jesus is coming back. But it's been 40 years, and the pressure's getting high, and they're starting to lose hope. But Peter has written them a letter my name is Ed, and I'm one of the teachers here at Community Christian, and today I want to sort of try to give you a feel of what it must have been like in the first century, because when we read these letters, they're just a part of what we call the Bible, but in their day, they were like lifelines, these little glimpses from the original people with Jesus, and this one comes from Peter, Peter, Peter who had been with Jesus, Peter who was always one of the three that came close to Jesus, and It's in our Bible, and it's called, it's just a short little letter, but they would have gloried in it, but we call it 1 Peter. And you know why we call it 1 Peter? Well, because he writes again, and we had to call that one 2 Peter. That's the reason. We're going to spend this whole summer just looking at this one little book, this little book of Peter. Because Peter is writing to them in a time when the pressure seems to be on them, and everything they thought was nailed down is coming loose And when I read it, and when I listen to a lot of you, the way you react to our culture, well, it feels like that's what you think is happening in our world. It sounds like it might be written to us experiencing 2023. It's written 2,000 years ago, but to some of us, it sounds like it's written now. And the theme that Peter's going to address over this little period of time we spend together with him is Peter's going to try to give to us what he tried to give to them. He's going to give them the one thing you need that you really need. And if you have it, it doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. If you have this, you can stand. And if you don't have it, it doesn't matter how good your circumstances are. You will eventually tap out. Peter wants to give you hope. And he wants to give you perspective on what's happening in your world. He's just going to point us toward hope. And he's going to point us toward the grace of God, which gives perspective. Now, I don't know what you think when you read these things, but I wonder. I mean, we sit in this place, but I wonder what it would have been like to sit in one of those little homes with the early Jewish Christians like Peter. I mean, Peter, from the time he's just a little boy, his mom and dad tell him these stories about there's one day coming, a deliverer, a a Messiah king is coming Father, God has promised us that He will come, and when He comes, He'll make the world right. Everything will be okay, and the oppressors will be gone. He'll come one day, and everything in the kingdom of God will be on earth. It'll be incredible when the Messiah comes. You hear it your whole life long, and then you grow up, and one day, you're just doing your job, and then you see Him, and you believe it might be Him, and then He wants you, he says to you, would you follow me? Well, of course you follow because he's the one your parents pointed you to. Of course you go with him. And you walk with him and you're thrilled with him. And you're the first one to say, hey, I think I think you're him. I think you're the Christ. I think you're the son of God. And then he gets killed. And before you can grieve it, he's resurrected in you. it has been the most glorious days walking with him for 40 days walking around with the resurrected God and when you walk with him what you had believed about him that you thought he was the Christ the son of God when you walk with him after the resurrection what you know now is he's not just the Christ he's God and you know he's God and you have hope and then he leaves and an angel says to you hey don't worry He's coming back. Now, you gotta be pretty excited if if your deliverer, the Messiah comes and you've seen him, and you've seen him raised from the dead, and you've walked with him, and he's talked to people, and you still see the nail prints in his hands, and you know it's him, and you see miracles you got God on your side, and you think, you know what? I can face anything. Life is going to go the way it's supposed to be. And in the beginning, when they formed that first little church, it's sort of that way. They share everything. They love each other. They hang out together. Things go okay. And then the enemy begins to work, and persecution begins to happen from their own people from their own people begin to attack and then the first one of them Stephen gets killed and they have to leave Jerusalem Jerusalem which had always been the place they wanted to be they have to go and then before long the persecution from their their own people again gets so high that they have to leave their nation and so they disperse among people and they're sitting in a country they don't belong to in a culture that's gotten increasingly hostile They feel like they don't belong anywhere anymore. And they wonder, does God see me? Does God know what I'm dealing with? And then the reader who Peter has sent begins to read his letter. And the very first thing he calls them is exiles and foreigners. And they think, he knows. He knows how we feel. And they lean in to hear what he has to say. Because at this point with what's happening to them and every week they show up and a couple doesn't show up and they don't think, oh, they just went to the lake. They think, I wonder if the empire killed them. And they show up and they wonder who won't be there next week and will our family hang together. At this point, they have to have the constant question that bugs every person, at least every person in my time of doing ministry eventually comes to the question is, where is God when horrible things happen to good and godly people? Where is God then? What is God doing in that? Now I'll just say, for some of you sitting here this morning, we just step away from them 2,000 years ago, that's not a question you have to wonder about because you've been asking it for the last little bit. Where God? Why God? And Why me, God? Why is this happening? You just need to know Peter is writing to you as well. When your life is falling apart or it feels like the enemy is winning at every turn, Peter has something for you, and we're going to talk about it in a moment. What you need in the moment when you can't see it, like it looks like everything has come loose in your life, You need perspective because what's happened is you've lost lost the frame around your vision of the world, and you need it. You need somebody that can stand back and look at your life from a 30,000-foot point of view and tell you what's really happened, or you need somebody who's been in the midst of it before and can tell you what's going on. You need perspective, and the second thing you need is you need somebody to tell you, what's the next right thing I do? I need to see it, and then I need to know what to do. And that's what Peter's going to give us. But before we move on to that, I want to pause and I want to reflect on this because of where you are right now. I want you to think about the perspective you need in your life and the struggles for today. So Jason, come and lead us in a time of prayer and reflection.
2: If you were here right as our service was beginning you may have heard uh, us say on the video that it is no accident that you are here today and we believe that and in fact it's something that we just believe at the core of our of our gathering our church God has something to say to every single one of you every time you show up here on a Sunday no matter who you are no matter where you came from no matter what you've done this week Now. Sometimes what God has to say is just a little bit of a reminder of how great his love is for you. Sometimes he reminds you of how faithful that he's been to us. Sometimes you just get encouraged to just stay focused, fix your eyes on Jesus. But sometimes God speaks right into the middle of a situation that you're going through in your life. A lot of people, when they come to church, They get this idea that church is the place where you come and you leave your problems at the door. And then you walk in and basically, God wants you to forget about the stress. He wants you to forget about all the concerns. He just wants you to forget about it, act like it doesn't exist, and just focus on Him. That is not true. The truth is that God wants to meet you in the middle of those messy, broken parts of your life. He says, bring them on. Bring them right here into this room. So that's why we say around here a lot of times, Community Christian Church is a place where it is okay for you to not be okay. For you to not have it all together. It's okay to be messy. It's okay to be broken. You also may have heard Kelly say on the video earlier, don't fake anything when you're here. And the reason we say that is because God is not asking for you to bring the pretend, cleaned up, church version of yourself to him. He wants the real you. He wants the honest you. And the reason is not so that he can shame you or guilt you. And you know this is true. The only way you can ever experience true, authentic love is when you're real. It's when you're open about who you really are. It's true with the people in your life, and it is also true of God. You cannot experience true love until you're real. So, that's what we want to do today in these next few moments, is we want to take some time to be real and honest with God. So I'll ask you a few questions. Do you have a situation in your life right now that causes you stress, that causes you worry? If you're real honest, you, you tried to leave the weight that you carry at the door, but... It, it didn't work you feel it right now you feel the weight that you're carrying today right where you are you just hadn't been able to lay it down that difficult relationship that difficult emotion you're dealing with that hurt that disappointment that frustration that thing that's just burdening you today would you just take a moment with whatever that is and just tell God about it be honest about it acknowledge it to him And as you do, ask him to help you. Ask him to bring you comfort and strength, whatever it is that you need. Take a minute and let's do that together. Now, I want you to keep your heads bowed for just a few more moments. and This time, I want to ask you to be real, not just with God, but would you take a risk and be real with another person, with me? So I want to ask you, if there's a situation or a relationship in your life and you just want to know somebody cares, somebody knows, and somebody would just pray for you, In just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where I can see it. And I want to say before we do this, this is not magical. There's nothing in in this. This is just a gift that God gives us when we come together in community so that we might know that someone sees me, someone cares, and someone in some way is praying for me. I would like to be the one to pray for you today. So if there's something you're carrying that you're talking to God about today and you want to know somebody's praying for you specifically, Would you just raise your hand wherever you are so that I can see you? Hmm. Thank you. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, this life, we know, can be difficult. But through Jesus, you have experienced sorrow and grief in a way that we know you can sympathize with us. So God, I'm asking you for every person who lifted their hand and, and asked for help today, bring comfort to wherever it is they're struggling with. Remind them of your love and how near you are in this very moment to them. Strengthen them to continue to follow you and do the next right thing you've called them to do, whatever it might be. And would you move in a powerful way in that situation or that relationship that's weighing on them? God, we don't always know what you're gonna do, But we know that it will always be for our good. And so we thank you for what you've already done for us through Jesus. We trust him. He is more than enough.
1: And in his powerful name, we pray. Amen. So Peter wants to give us perspective and then give us what we need to do. And today, uh, we're going to look at perspective. You may have never known this, or, I mean, nobody but preachers really had the time to think about this, but almost all of these little New Testament books are arranged in this order. They they start by trying to remind everybody, this is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. The, for the followers of Christ, this is how God sees the world, and this is how he sees you. Peter begins his book the same way. He wants to get perspective then about verse 13, he says, "All." Oh, Therefore, in light of everything I've just told you, here's what you need to do in the situation you're in. Well, this week, we're going to look at the first little bit. I want, to, I want to become this frame around whatever it is you just thought about or what you're feeling in the world that you're in or what you might be in soon. Because perspective, perspective is what gives everybody the opportunity to make wise decisions about what's happening in their world instead of misunderstanding What's going on? It's how we evaluate and then we know how to respond. I mean, a a two year old looks at five minutes of quiet sitting in the corner as torture and their mom looks at it as five minutes of heaven. (laughs) What's the difference? It's perspective. What is it that a youth league parent who's screaming at a volunteer umpire needs that they don't have? (laughs) They need perspective. But I I get it. I mean, I've been that parent. You see your kid's pain from something going on that they think is unjust, and then you take on their pain, and you begin to feel their pain. And I remember one time getting so upset about one of my kid's coaches. uh, We had driven a long way to go to watch uh, my son play, and Uh, I just got so frustrated with the coach, I tried to talk to him after the game, and then we got in the van to begin to drive back toward home, Uh, I continued to rant for a little while about all the stupidity of how he did not understand baseball, and how everything would be better if he understood the perspective that I had, and then we went into the restaurant, and we ordered uh, what we were going to eat, we sat down together, and the whole time we're sitting there, I continued to rant about all of this, eventually my son got up and went to the bathroom, and when he came back, he said, dad, I talked to Jesus, in the bathroom, and he said, let it go. <laughs> I look back at that, and I, I could see he had something I didn't have. It was just a different perspective, but I couldn't see it at the time. It was the first time I'd ever been a parent. I mean, I didn't get a practice kid to, to waste. You know, I just got thrown into the job. It was my very first one. Peter's in the middle of pain with all these people, and it's the first time you know, the first time the empire kills your mom, it's the first time. The first time somebody in the church doesn't show up because they too were killed, it's the first time. It's the first time you realize that following Jesus, it's going to cost you something. It's the first time for some of you that you've experienced the kind of loss you've had. This week, you, for the first time, it was your first cancer diagnosis. And the frame of your life got really shaky. You didn't get to do it before. It's the first time you come face to face with your own mortality. And you don't know how to do it. And Peter warns them. And he, he just wants to give them perspective. And so here's what he says to them. Praise be to the fa- Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're in deep weeds. And Peter says, you know what? Praise God you're in the deep weeds. Is that why we're praising God? No, because in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth. Peter knows for followers of Christ, and unfortunately, this only is for followers of Christ. When you're in the middle of the trouble and the frame gets shaky about the plans you had, that what you need is you need Somebody to stand back and give you the real perspective. And so he starts with the foundation. He says, you need to focus on our salvation. Because too often in our culture, particularly in our culture, which is the only one I really know deeply, the way people talk about it is praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in His great mercy, He healed me from cancer and everything's great. Praise be to the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he miraculously took away my addiction and I didn't have to do it anymore. He fixed my problem. Praise be to God for his great mercy. He gave me exactly what I wanted for my problem. But Peter knows better. Peter knows that sometimes you will pray, pray and, and the foundation that's under your feet is strong, but because your frame got loose, you you forgot praise be because god in his mercy did not necessarily fix your immediate problem but he gave you a foundation to stand on in your problem you have a new birth in christ and that's the greatest gift you're ever going to get you've been born into a new kingdom and the empire of this world does not rule And you aren't in the kingdom somewhere in the future. You're in his kingdom now. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance, your spiritual inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. Despite all that you're going through until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. We are in the kingdom now. But the fullness of the kingdom, we're waiting for the final delivery of the kingdom that is yet to come.
0: Now, if there's ever a churchy word that doesn't mean much in the world outside this building, it's the word salvation. What does being saved mean? I mean, if someone is drowning and saved or rescued from a fire, we understand that. But then it becomes spiritual and it seems weird or confusing. So what it means here is that there is a penalty of sin that came into the world when Adam and Eve sold the world into slavery to our enemy, the devil. And now that penalty is no longer on us. We have been ransomed from the enemy. We've been delivered. We've been saved from it. Unfortunately for many followers of Jesus, what I just said has become spiritual white noise. But this is huge and I don't want us to miss this. Jesus has saved you. He's actually ransomed you from the evil one. He saved you from this world and brought you into his kingdom. But that's not all. He's forgiven our sins and adopted you as a full son or daughter of God. But wait, there's more. God himself lives within us through the Holy Spirit. And this changes us from the inside out to live in his eternal, unshakable kingdom. But hold up, there's more. We are co-heirs to this kingdom with Jesus which means if you follow Jesus, if you repent of following yourself and this culture and the American way and you obey him, your home is with him. And that's great news because that means no matter what happens to you or what happens in our culture or who is president or what flag you live under, you are the most blessed person in the world because you belong to Christ. That's the perspective Peter wants to give us. And another follower of Jesus, Paul, wrote a similar kind of encouragement to a church in the ancient Roman colony of Corinth. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. and That may just sound like a trite spiritual cliche from a guy who had an easy life. But let me just give you his resume of what light and momentary trouble is. He had three beatings where he was flogged, three beatings with a metal stick, three times he was shipwrecked, constantly in danger, fleeing for his life, and thrown into prison more times than you can count. Any one of those things, I would call the worst day of my life. It would be a, God, where are you? Why me? kind of day. But Paul called those things light and momentary trouble because he had perspective. It's not that he loved those things. In fact, whenever he writes a letter from prison, he asks, pray that I get out. But when Peter writes this, Paul had been executed, or as Paul had said, he'd finished his race and kept the faith. And whatever happened to him, he was able to step back and see the glory of the grace he received when he followed Jesus and what awaited him in the fullness of the kingdom. So why can't we, when we are in trouble, when all hell breaks loose, when we wonder, where is God? Why don't we have the same perspective on what God has done for us already? It's a simple reason that I'm embarrassed is often true of me. It's just human nature. We lack gratitude. Isn't it strange how quickly gratitude turns into entitlement? How something as small as a flat tire, or someone criticizing me, or something not going my way, or YouTube doing that spinning wheel of death thing, can make me lose it. I mean, no matter how great a blessing my car, or the internet, or the people in my life are, I am only thankful for somewhere between three hours and three weeks of receiving it. And after that, it's just the way it's supposed to be. And I don't think I'm the only one. There are these famous studies by a guy named Hertzberg that have to do with business. The basic findings of the study is that when people get a raise that they have wanted and looked forward to, maybe even prayed for, they are happy with the raise for only a couple of months. After that, it no longer becomes a point of gratitude. It becomes the new baseline that the employee thinks they deserve. And for followers of Jesus, gratitude should be our baseline. When your world or the world is falling apart, one of the most important things to do is to not forget what God has freely given you. Not what you've earned or deserve, what he has given. Because when we start to take our greatest blessings for granted, our problems become the lens through which we see life. But this life is not a problem to be solved. It's a gift we've been given. And because of Jesus, we have been given even more than just this life. We've been given Him forever.
1: And that's how you start the frame. The frame begins with, I'm just grateful that I'm in the kingdom, no matter what happens. That's where Peter begins. But then he wants to give us some perspective, not on just what God has done, but perspective on why they're suffering. They're right in the midst of it. He says, in light of your salvation, praise God anyway, but don't forget, you may be going through some of the things you're going through so that the genuineness of your faith can be taken care of. So here's what I need you to remember. When it comes to that point in your life when you get to the place of why does God allow people to suffer and why do we suffer and why does all the bad things happen that happen in the world, here's the most biblical answer I can give you for why bad things happen and bad things happen to people in our world and why we have these things going on. Here's what I need you to remember. We don't know why it happens. Isn't that helpful? We just don't know. So let me say this and then I'll, I'll, I wanna, I'll, I'll talk about that. But for those of you who you think you do know and you feel compelled to speak for God when bad things happen to somebody who is not you, And you're the person that shows up at some tragedy and you say something like, well, here's what God is doing, and here's why God is doing it, and things are going to come out on the other side. Or God just needed another angel in heaven, or I guess God needed that to happen more than we wanted it to happen. Can I just say to you, please, shut up. Those things do not help except the person who said it. They are the only person that feels better. The truth is, when bad things happen, none of us know for sure why they happened. And even though Peter says in this particular set of verses that this is a testing of our faith, he doesn't mean that for all suffering. In fact, for just a second, let me give you all the... The reasons I can think of when I was writing this, I've since come up with more of why the Bible tells us that people suffer at different times. One of the reasons of why we suffer, and, and I'll just say, some of the reasons you might, may wind up suffering, you may look back at with the help of God and see it was a combination of some of these things. But one of the biggest reasons people suffer in our world that gets way less pressed than it ought to get from Christians is we live in a broken world where suffering is normal. But we don't like to talk about that. It is normal in this world that we live in that suffering happens to all people. And so that I can just say this clearly the world you and I exist in is not the world the way that God designed it. That in the moment that human beings wrecked it with sin. In fact, Paul writes about our world, about this planet, and he says, our planet is groaning under the weight of sin, waiting to be redeemed and made the way that it was created. You are not the only one waiting for Jesus to return. Our planet longs to be made back the way it was. Our world longs to be set right. And sometimes people suffer in this world just because that's the world we live in. So it doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you do. Weeds will still grow around your tomatoes in Georgia. Childbirth will still bring women pain. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. Your body is going to die, either through an accident or through a disease you get or because it got old and it finally gave way to the ravages of this broken world that are not the way that God designed it. It's part of the world we live in. Sometimes we suffer because of our broken world and because of the bad choices we made. And before you get too much and point to the other choices people make, you've made them too. And I have as well. And as much as we think, well, my bad choices only infected me, that just means you didn't talk to your mama. It impacted her too. And it means you didn't talk to your spouse and how it impacted them. And it means you didn't talk to the people around you who don't talk to you anymore because of the bad choice you made. Your bad choices wind up hurting other people even when you don't know that they do. And sometimes their bad choices wind up hurting you. Sometimes we suffer because we shoot ourselves in the foot. Surely you know this. Anybody that's ever been a counselor professional or just pastoral know how how tough it is to sit with a straight face when somebody sits before you and says i just don't know why god let me get pregnant i just don't know why i'm the one that got pulled over for dui i don't know why god would let me lose my job for stealing i don't know sir that's a head scratcher i mean sometimes we do stupid things and the reason you are in pain is you And sometimes, sometimes it isn't any of those. Sometimes it's a test. Sometimes it's a test. But even the good news is in the test, our good God, our Father for followers of Jesus, promises that Jesus is with you in the test. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. You may get beaten up, but you will not break. You can withstand it. But the point you need to remember is, you aren't smart enough to know which one of those it is for anybody. You don't know why people are suffering. So have some compassion for them and for yourself. Now in this case, he says, it's flat out a test you're going through. And people often look at it and they say, why would God need to test my faith? Doesn't God know my faith is real? It's not God's testing your faith so he knows. God is testing faith so that you know. So then in the midst of trouble, you know. I stand firm on the foundation of Jesus. He is the rock underneath my feet when all the other frames in my life come around, apart. I know for sure that my faith is, is real. Proverbs eleven twenty-five says, When the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm. You will notice in those verses it does not say the righteous get an umbrella. The righteous also got wet in the storm. They also got hit by the storm. It's just that their foundation was really, really strong because of what Peter had said. Our salvation in God, He's provided. It's the foundation on which we stand. Can I remind you one other thing about suffering before I'm done? Don't ever judge God's goodness by the mess you're currently in. Judge God's goodness by what he has done for you and what his future hope in heaven is for you. I remember 20 years ago when Jason and his wife Helga lost their oldest son Bryce. Hearing Jason get up and preach after that and say, you can't forget in the dark, what you knew to be true when you lived in the light. I've never forgotten that. You can't forget in the dark what you knew was true in the the light. You judge your current life by the cross, not by your crisis. Praise be to God for his great mercy. He's given us a new birth that will last forever. And at the end of the day, we're receiving, as we saw in this passage, the end result of that, which is salvation, eternal life with God and with his people forever. Which is why as a community, we keep trying to live in the the kingdom right now, here and now, your kingdom come on earth right now like it is in heaven. It's why we say that life with God is not some private personal spirituality. It was a life he intended to live in community with other people. It's about grace today and hope tomorrow with God and with his people. And so if you feel God calling you to take a step today, would you consider going to the Next Step Center and learning about how to do life with God in our community together? We'd love to have you be a part of our community. You're not committing in anything. You're just showing interest that you'd like to know what happens with the next steps around here. I hope you'll do that. But it would be wrong for me to not end by allowing you to be reminded once again of the living hope that we have in Jesus by taking the meal of communion together as we do every week. Jason's going to lead us in that.